Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, in... 1985, if some of you can cast your mind back that far, if some of you can imagine a time that long ago, Coca-Cola had been riding high for sort of like 80-odd years, had been the undisputed Coke-flavored drink. But all of a sudden, they started to get nervous. They started to panic. They think, they think okay, we've got this old, unchanged product based on an old, unchanged recipe. And all of a sudden, there are other products on the scene, the Coke-Pepsi wars that maybe you might have remembered from those times from your childhood or whatever. Um, and they suddenly got worried, and they, and they, and they decided they needed to make a, make a tweak. They needed to make changes. They, they thought, this is an old product, old recipe. Let's change that. Let's make it sweeter. Let's make it um, more popular. Let's make it cheaper to make. And so they developed, in the middle of the 80s, New Coke. New Coke that was meant to be the future. Well, they developed New Coke. After just three months, after um, $50 million, something I'm told is worth $140 million today, it was an absolute disaster. They had to pull it from the shelves. They had to put it in landfill. And they had to go back to the old recipe. The old recipe. Because it, 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 it was a complete disaster, that change. And they had that doubt about what they had. They'd had that doubt, and they made that change, and it was a complete disaster. And the prayer that we're reading from Paul in Colossians is written to Christians who might be in danger of making the same kind of disastrous choice that Coke made back in the mid-'80s. People who are looking at the gospel they had, the faith that they have in Jesus, and, and people who might be thinking, well, we've got this thing that we've had. We've, it's based on a truth that we've been taught, but maybe it's time 
to tweak the recipe. Maybe it's time to look for a better product. They were there wondering and wanting something, maybe a, a deeper truth. They were wanting a kind of greater fulfillment and, and wondering whether they can tweak that recipe, get a better product. And what Paul says to them is, you've got the real thing. You've got the real thing. Don't tweak it. Don't change it. There is no bigger truth. There is no deeper fulfillment. And it could be that we feel that same temptation that the Colossian church was feeling then, that we feel the same today. For them then, the temptation was religious experiences and, um, and new teachings and other rules and religious rights. And it could be that in all sorts of different ways, as we come to, you know, start of a new term, for many of us, there are big changes ahead. For many of us, we come to a September and we think others have big changes ahead. And that just makes me feel all the more trapped in the same old, same old. Whether we've got big changes, maybe we would long for big changes. The temptation for us is to think, well, maybe there is a bigger truth than the one I've heard in the Bible. Maybe there is a deeper fulfillment than the one I find in the Lord Jesus. And just like Paul said to the Colossians then, he says to us today, you have, you have the real thing. And it's as if in this, um, in this prayer, it's as if he takes the gospel and he sort of opens it up for us. And he helps us to taste it and says, it's really not great first thing in the morning. But, um, and he says, taste that. Taste that goodness. Enjoy it and want it more and want more of that. So let's, let's taste that together in these verses so that we can long for more of that, whether we've got big changes, whether actually we would long for big changes or whatever our situation might be. What Paul shows us, he says, look, there is nothing beyond Jesus and there is nothing um, more than this word about Jesus. He says, look, taste and enjoy that real thing. He says, look at that life that you have in Jesus. Your life is in Jesus. Look at it and live it. And so let's follow along as Paul does that, does that for us. And the, 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 the first thing he does is he shows us the truth about our life in Jesus. Those first few verses before he even gets into the prayer. Um, those, those first few verses show us the truth of who we are if we're Christians. Let's not just skip over those as a bit of introduction because actually it's the truth from which everything else follows. Just look at how Paul describes those Colossians that he's writing to you or us today as we're hearing these words in verse 2. He says this, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Saints and faithful brothers. It's as if we're Christians, if we're those who have trusted that message about the Jesus, received the truth of Jesus, if we're those who have the real thing, then we have a totally new family and a glorious new identity. That's, he describes the kind of family we have. It says, to the saints and faithful brothers. Saints is a Bible word for people set apart, for people who belong to God. He says, look, you have been chosen and set apart. It's what we've been singing, hasn't it? 
that we are chosen. We are who God says we are, set apart for the Father, and so belonging to one another as brothers and sisters of that heavenly Father. This is the new family that we're part of because of the new identity we have. That's how the, the, the verse continues. They're saints and faithful brothers who are in Christ and at Colossae. They're in Christ, wherever they are, at Colossae, at Bromley, at Beckenham, at Chislehurst, at Orpington, wherever you've come from this morning. We are at those places, but our deepest identity is that we are in and we belong to the Lord Jesus. You see, um, many of us are about to start a new term. I guess some here might be starting even for the first time into year seven, into senior school. Some are um, kind of heading, maybe you've already started. It seemed tough to start term in August for, for some people, but some have already started back. And I know like as a school child, you sort of thought the teachers lived at school. You wanted quite what they got up to in the summer holidays, but you thought they were probably quite relieved to open the door because you, you just think that that's where they live. But as a school kid, you know when you're at school, you're at school, you're at school. But that's not everything about who you are. Sure, it matters, and sure, it's important. That's where you are. It's not really who you are. And I guess as parents, if we're helping kids deal with the pressures of school life, that's one of the things we want to tell them. We're saying, sure, it's hard. Sure, it's real. Sure, it's important. But just remember, you've got a mommy and daddy who love you. You know, you're coming back home. You're at school. It is where you are. But it's not all of who you are. And I guess some people, maybe you're back in the summer from from university or maybe off to university in, in time coming up. And there's that dynamic, don't you? Where you have your term time address, home, but then you've got your real, you've got home, home. That difference between uni home and home, home of really who you are, really where you belong. And, 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 and what we say to each other in those situations, you know, as you might say to a kid at school, you're not saying this doesn't matter. But you're saying this does matter, and because it does matter, we need to put it in this perspective of who you really are and where you truly belong. And that's what these verses say to us. There is so often the temptation to either shrink down our experiences to what we see and where we are, to think everything is all about the work I've got, the relationships I'm in, the suffering I'm facing. We're either tempted to shrink everything for all of that to absorb us, or we think the only other option is try to escape it all, plug our ears and ignore it, to think somehow work doesn't matter, to think that somehow I can forget about the sufferings or hardship I'm facing. But our new identity expresses both. We're in Christ at Colossae. Those things do matter, but because they matter, like we would be saying to a kid struggling at school, because that matters, we need to put that in its true perspective of who we are and where we truly belong. So I'm at Bromley, but I'm in Christ. I'm at work, but in Christ. I'm on a hospital visit, but I'm in Christ. I'm alone, but I'm in Christ. The gospel shows us the truth of where we're at. But it places that truth of where we're at in the truth of who we are 
in the Lord Jesus. And Paul's prayer begins to unfold that truth and show the glory of what it is to be those who are in Christ. The um, verses 3 to 8 invites us to say, okay, you are in Christ. Now look at that life that you have in Jesus. He, 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 Paul gives thanks and he celebrates the life that they have and, and, and the truth that gave them that life. So just look at, um, in verses three, um, onto, onto eight. Woven through that entire section, Paul praises. He just starts off. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. When I think of you, when I know that you are in Christ, I can't help but give thanks. And listen, this is why it's so great. You can hear the life that they've been given right the way through the beginning, middle, and end of these first eight verses. So right at the start, in verses 3 to 5, just listen to how they're described. Their faith Verse 4, in Christ Jesus, the love that they have all for all the saints, the hope that they have laid up for them in heaven. They, 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 these are Christians, they're able to look back and trust by faith in what Jesus has done for them in the cross. They're able to, to look around and love other Christians. And they're able to do that because they can look ahead and hope in the certainty of their new identity, of their home that is found in heaven. This is a life of faith, looking back and trusting in the truth of who Jesus is and what is done. This is a life of hope, looking ahead with certainty of Jesus and his promises. This is a life that's expressed now of looking around, sharing and being shown love in this family. It's just there at the start. We come back to that at the end of this, of this section in verse 8. Did you notice that? It started talking about their love. It ended with this thanksgiving saying, um, Epaphras has, has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so in the middle, he's just so excited that they are part of what is happening all over the world. Verse 6, that what they're happening now amongst them is also seen. They're part of what God is doing throughout the world. Verse 6, this, this message, that this, this gospel about Jesus that's gone through the whole world and is bearing fruits and growing. At the beginning, the end, and the middle, he says, look at this life. As a Christian, it's a life of bearing fruit, the certainty of faith, the comfort of that hope, that joy of knowing the love that is shared and shown in that family. And, and he says, that's the life you have, and this is how you've been able to enjoy that life, just woven through that beginning, middle, and end. He shows them that life, and then woven through that, he shows them how they came to that life. And I wonder if you... If you, um, if you caught it, he talks about the word of truth that gives them that life. In verse 5, this, this, um, this faith, this hope, this love they enjoy, well, in the middle of verse 5, this hope you have in heaven, well, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Or jump down to verse 7. 
They're bearing fruit just like Christians and churches are around the world because you've learned the gospel from Epaphras, our fellow, our beloved and fellow servant. They've got the word of truth, the gospel. They've heard it from Epaphras, the faithful servants. He says, you, this word is the word that brings life. And you truly live because you have been faithfully taught. You have true life because you have this true word. It's as if he's saying, look, it tastes great. Because it was made by the right recipe. And so you can trust it. You've been truly changed by it. We, um, uh, we went to Harry Potter World in the summer. I had a chance to kind of go that and see that. And they have all these different scenes from the movies that, that they show you how they made it and different things like that. I don't know if you remember, one of the iconic moments is when Harry receives the letter to, to Hogwarts. I can't remember which movie it is. He gets the invitation to Hogwarts. And initially, the guys he's with um, uh, kind of you know, put it in the bin and throw it away and try to stop him from getting this message, try to kind of keep him trapped in where he is. And then you know, one letter comes flying through the letterbox, then another one, then another one, then another one. Then they come down through the, um, through the chimney, and they fill the house with this letter. And it's a wonderful moment, because as you watch it, you know that this message changes everything, and this message is unstoppable. And it's this lovely moment where little Harry grabs the letter, and you know that that message has got through, and his life is now changed. It's so exciting, because you know he's freed up to be who he was meant to be. The duds, whatever, doubt it. Sorry, I'm not a kind of massive Harry Potter fan. It was, you know, the trip was for the kids. You know, they, they get it. Sorry, I've just lost half the... <laughs> um, they, they get it. They try, to, they try to stop it. They try to destroy it, but they can't stop it. Nothing can stop this news. Nothing can stop this message. This message that brings that new life. And so for us, it's important to be reminded of this because for us, in our normal life, we're surrounded by these different messages, different truths about who we are and what brings the change and the hope and the comforts that we need. And Paul is saying in Colossians 1, he's saying this is true life. This is the life that gives us that confidence of that faith the comfort of that hope, the love that we crave, that we long for and that we in our best moments long to show. He says this is true life and that true life comes through this true word. That he says, look, that I talked to Epaphras, that Epaphras then took to you and that over the centuries was passed on from person to person until it reached us here. Paul says, look, look at your life in Jesus. This is the life that we have. Don't let it go. Don't give it up. Don't tweak the recipe. Taste that the product is so good, as it were. And so stick to that recipe. Stick to that word that gives us that truth. But it might be, let's be honest, it might be we've heard of that. We hear that invitation to look at that life and we've heard about a life of, of faith, of, 
of hope, of love, of this life that's bearing fruit all over the world. And, and it might be that it's hard to share Paul's excitement. It might be that we're there saying, okay, but my, I feel quite distant from the experience, the celebration of verses 3 to 8. So as Paul praises God for the life that these Colossians have and for the truth that gives them that life, he then turns in verses 9 to 14 to pray that they, that we might ourselves know and enjoy that life. And so in verses 9, having, 9 to 14, having said, look, look at this life, he then says, live it, enjoy it, and know it. So in verses um, 3 to 8, he, he gives thanks. And then there, 9 to 14, you know, verse 3, we thank God when we pray for you and jump down to 9. And so we've not ceased to pray for you. In verse, verse 3 to 8, he praises God that they know Jesus. He praises God that they've been changed by Jesus. And that has come from the true message about Jesus. And so, in verses 9 to 14, he prays that they, that we, would know more of Jesus and be changed more of by the Lord Jesus. And that's the, that's the pattern throughout this prayer. It's a pattern that's set in verses 9 to 10. In verses 9, he prays that they would know this kind of spiritual will and understanding, verse 9. And then look at how verse 10 begins. So that you might walk. He prays that they might know so that they can live and enjoy what they've been given and what they have in Christ. In verse 9, he, he, he says he prays that they might be filled with knowledge of will, all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What he's describing is not some secret purpose of God for our lives or some secret plan of God for each moment and decision we have. It's much more bigger and, and greater and more glorious than that. Verse 9 is describing nothing less than the gospel itself, the truth of who Jesus is. That we might be filled with the knowledge of God's purposes in Jesus, that God's Holy Spirit would be at work in us so we would grasp that. So that, verse 10, our lives might be shaped. As we know more about Jesus, we can live more like Jesus. We can walk more closely with Jesus. Just like friends getting to know each other and finding out what each other likes. As, as, as friends begin to share each other's tastes. Being able to look across and know what it is that makes the other one smile. Well, in a similar way, Paul prays that we would know more of Jesus so that, verse 10, we can become more like Jesus. And, and he describes, you know, this walk. He describes like walking in verse 10. And that walk in verse 10 onwards, it's like it's got a distinctive gait. Apparently, the way people walk, apparently people say, a bit like, you know, your fingerprints, 
how people walk is meant to be as distinctive as their fingerprint. I, I've, I've heard that somewhere. I don't know if it's true, but anyway, it's what people say. But in this case, it certainly is true that there is a distinctive way of walking as a Christian that just shows who it is we are. Like, look at, look at the way um, halfway through verse 10, it sort of describes that. It talks about walking in a manner worthy, worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, and it, and it goes on. And so we say, look, verse Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Look at the bottom, if you're on the same sort of Bible that I've got, at the bottom of that left-hand side. Well, it's, it's fully pleasing, uh, sorry, bearing fruit in every good work. Increasing in knowledge, it carries on. Verse 11, being strengthened by God. Verse 12, giving thanks. There's this pattern of what the Christian walk looks like. And as we see that walk, at each step of that walk, there's a movement of gospel truth bringing gospel life. Hearing and knowing Jesus leads to following Jesus. We could could just follow that pattern. So, I'm going to be living a life that's bearing fruit there at, um, in the middle of verse 10 as I increase in knowledge. Or at the start of 11, I'm going to be strengthened as I, verse 12, am thankfully remembering what God has done for me. Bearing fruit as I grow in knowledge. Being strengthened as I grow in my thankfulness for what God has done for me. As I give my life to the truth about Jesus, I am shaped by that truth to live for Jesus, with Jesus, and like Jesus in each of the situations that face me. So kind of mentioning Harry Potter world um, earlier just makes me think that coming, as you come, as, like, as I arrived, just saw all these people coming out in sort of costumes, like full-on wands and gowns and everything and luggage. And there was a bit of me that wanted to stop and say, guys, like, you know it's not real. Like, you're not actually in Gryffindor or whatever it might be. And, and okay, I know it's just a bit of fun. I don't want to be a complete old Scrooge. But, you know, you could see that and it looks maybe you could see that it'd be a bit silly to take it too seriously. But isn't this how often so much of how we live our lives We find meaning, we look for an anchor, we look for our hope in things that are nothing more than actually just kind of dressing up and playing pretend. You know, I seek in my work to carry the weight of who I am. I seek to find in my relationships the deepest purpose and joy. These verses say to us that we're to give our lives to the truth that people might offer us alternatives, alternatives with better special effects, with cooler costumes, more respect, more fun. But we want to give our lives to the truth. And it may not look exciting. It may not be easy. But this is the reality to be reckoned with. And so as a church family, let's, as we go into this new term, let's be convinced that gospel truth is what will give us gospel life. There's no shortcut. There's no quick fix. There's no silver bullets. It's not easy, but it is very simple. We are only truly changed when we are changed 
by the truth. And I think we see that most vividly in that last pair, in verses 11 to 12. So as we finish, let's look again at that. Just look at what the Christian life, how the Christian life is described in verse 11. Paul prays that God may strengthen you with all power according to his glorious might. And that sounds extraordinary. All of God's power, all of his glory, all of his might. But what does that look like? For what? Oh, for endurance. For patience. So that we can be joyful in the grind of living faithfully for Jesus. This life lived in the trusting ourselves to the truth of the gospel will look like patience, will feel like struggle. It doesn't look impressive, but it is what we need. It is what God works in us by the gospel. And so when I feel weak or when I face sorrow, what will it, what will it be that gives me the patience I need to face tomorrow? What is it that will give me the strength I need to carry on through the day? What is it that can give me, even in the midst of all that, a true and deep joy? Well, that's how Paul ends. He says, how are we going to be strengthened in verse 11? By remembering the glorious gospel of verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance in the saints of light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. Transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. We've been plucked from the power of Satan. We've been brought to the kingdom of Jesus. In him we have rescue. In him we have the forgiveness of sins. The battle has been won. Freedom is secure. In the struggle, we are strengthened by God's power until that moment when we are finally brought home. Just picture that, you know, kids back at school, however excited they may be, to be amongst their friends. You all know that joy on a child's face as they're in the school grounds and they see their parents come or their carers come to pick them up. That joy that I'm at school, <laughs> but I'm heading home. And however much the folk are cool coming back from university, you know that they really feel the same. That's how they're going to feel at Christmas. Or that's how they feel now being at home. I may be at school, but I'm heading home. And it's the same way for us as Christians. I might see that, be all too aware of that dominion of darkness clutching at my heart and that sin that still entangles me. Or I may be all the too painfully aware of the dominion of darkness around me as I see suffering and hardship. But that is not where we belong. Like a kid in the school grounds, these verses, the gospel, lifts our eyes to see, this is where I'm at, but that's not my home. We have been freed from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the beloved Son. In the struggle, we are strengthened by God's power until that moment when we are finally brought home. And so Paul says to us, 
this September at the start of a new term, whether we're facing exciting changes that might tempt us and distract us, that may lead us to struggle. It might be that we long for exciting changes. Paul says to us, you have the real thing. He says, taste it, savor it. You have that truth in the gospel. You have that truth of Jesus. Give your life to that truth that we encounter in the Lord Jesus. Let me pray that that would be true for us. Father God, we pray that whatever comes our way in the weeks ahead, that the gospel of the Lord Jesus would be our joy. We pray that that would be our comfort and our joy. And we pray that the gospel of the Lord Jesus would also be our deepest longing, that he would be the one we seek, that he would be the one we long for. Father God, thank you that in the Lord Jesus, you have delivered us from the dominion of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved son. Please would we know that truth and would we grow in that truth in the week and the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.